Well, what's up, Victory family? How you guys doing today? All right. So good to have you with us. And we also want to welcome all of you who are joining us online. We got people from Kenya, Philippines, and Antigua. I'm glad you're joining us together, joining us today. Just give those people a hand. Go ahead and open your Bible to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Uh, I'll be reading from the NIV version of the Bible. Last week, we began this series, Home, uh, as Pastor Johnson kicked off the series. And what we're talking about is home. We actually opened up the story of the prodigal son. We talked about him coming home and the father loving him back into his, his home. And so if you haven't had an opportunity to watch that message from last week, you want to go back and watch that message. That message. It'll truly be a blessing to your life. So please do that. Uh, speaking of blessing, um, my sons are a true blessing to me. My son, my oldest son, Emery, and my youngest son, Elon, they are my life. They are my joy. They are a, I, I love them with my whole life, but they are a whole trip. <laughs> like for real, whole trip. You know, a couple weeks ago, typical in our home, we have two dogs um, named after Marvel char characters, Thor and Zuri. And it was time for my oldest son to take the dogs out. And so I tell Emery, go take the dogs out. Elon is sitting right in the sunroom overlooking the backyard. Elon, Emery goes and takes the dogs out. While he's taking the dogs out, I go in the front yard to do something. And then I just hear from, from the front yard, Elon, Elon, Elon. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? This boy is calling his brother's name, and he keeps calling and keeps calling for about a whole minute. So I run in the house. I rush in the house to see what was happening. I go in the room. Elon is sitting there eating his cereal, watching TV. Emery is in the backyard in the distance, still screaming, Elon, Elon, Elon. And I say, Elon, do you hear your brother? He looks at me and said, yeah. I'm like, son. Your brother is calling you. Do you know what he wants? He's like, no. <laughs> Emery's still calling Elon, so I just rush out to see what was happening. I go out there, and Emery's standing there with one dog in hand and then one leash in hand, and the other dog has ran away. And I'm like, I'm like Emery, where's the dog? It's the, younger, it's the younger dog. It's Zuri. Where's the dog? And he says, she ran that way. And I'm like, where is she? He's like, I don't know. She just went that way. I said, why are you calling Elon? You should be finding the dog. He said, I needed, I needed Elon's help. And I'm like, okay, let me go get the dog. So we got the prodigal dog <laughs> running out by the lake. So I have to go down by the lake in the woods to call the dog back, call her back. She's out there living, living her best life now. So I got to persuade her. I'm the loving father. I got to get her to come back. So I finally get her to come back, take the dog, take both Emery and Elon in the house, and we got to have a conversation. <laughs> so I start with Emery. I said, Emery, listen, son. Look, if the dog is running away, you have to go after the dog. If Elon is not responding, go get the dog, because what happens if Elon comes out and y'all don't know where the dog is? And Elon, Elon is in the back, background saying, yeah, Emery. <laughs> and, I, and then I said, no, no, it don't work that way. So I say, Emery, go get the dog first. And then I say, Elon, but you, why didn't you go help your brother? This is what he said. He said, I, and, and it was a great answer. I, I just got to give it up to him. It was a great, a great answer. He looks at me and he said, my cereal was going to get soggy. I'm like, what? I said, son, do you care more about your cereal being soggy or your dog being lost? And he kind of looked like he didn't know. Here's what I said to him. I said, to, I said, listen, both of y'all are wrong. Both of y'all are wrong. Listen, when we look at this story of the prodigal son, oftentimes we're just looking at the son that went off and we're thinking he's wrong. But I want to remind you, Luke 15 and 11, when the story begins, it says there was a man who had 
two sons. Two sons, plural, not singular. Jesus started this story out. There was a man who had two sons. It was never meant to be a story about a singular son. It was about two sons. Often, and I went through many Bibles looking at how they titled the story. For the most part, all of them said the story of a lost son, the story of a prodigal son. But Jesus, in his, the way he portrayed this, well, there were two sons. And here's, here's what I want you to know. There was two stories. There was two perspectives. There was two prodigals. Two prodigals. Now, when you think about this, I want you to understand. See, one prodigal had reckless actions, and the other prodigal had a reckless attitude. Come on, somebody. Now, look, look, let's just recap. Let's just recap the story a little bit. When it, come, when it came to the younger prodigal, he asked, for his, he asked for his inheritance while his father was still alive, which was the equivalent of wishing his father to be dead. He asked for his inheritance. The father gives the inheritance. He gives a third to the younger son and two-thirds to the older son because when he gave, up the, gave the inheritance, he had to give it to them both. The younger son goes and blows his inheritance to the point that he, he's, he's, he hits rock bottom and he has nothing. He finds himself feeding pigs and wanting to eat pig slop. He says, you know what I'll do? I'll go back to my father's house. He comes back to his father's house, and as he's coming back to his father's house, he's surprised because his father is waiting to see him. He welcomes him in. He puts a ring, a ring on his hand, a robe over him, just, and that signifies taking him from the slavery that he was in, and he welcomes him into the house. And the scene one, I would just say scene one, the younger son, ends with the celebration. And the scripture says in scene one, it says, Luke 15, 23 and 24, it said, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So the younger prodigal, listen to this, his physical presence left the estate, but eventually his heart remembered the father. But the older prodigal, his physical presence remained at the estate, but his heart eventually left the father. You get that? So let's talk about what happens with this older prodigal. Did you know that you could be in the father's house and not close to the father's heart? You could be in the father's house enjoying the father's things and not close to the father's heart. You know, there's an old saying that home is where the heart is, and we're about to find out that the son's heart for his father had long left the home. Luke 15, 25 through 28, let's go ahead and dive into the second scene. You know, one scene ends with celebration, and scene two begins with drama. All right, verse 25, it says, meanwhile... Don't you like when it starts with meanwhile, when the story is ended, and it's a great story, but then you got a but or a meanwhile? Look at this. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And look what happens. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Now, before we go any further, I want you to understand this also about this story. Two brothers, they, it's, it's just not about the heart that's what's happening. This is also a prophetic teaching from Jesus because the two brothers also represented the older covenant and the new covenant. It also represented the Jews and the Gentiles. And so when Jesus is given this story, he's talking to, to sinners who are right there in the front. And the Bible said when this, when this chapter began that the Pharisees fell in behind him. So you have, the, you have the, 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 the people who are unrighteous in the front, and then you have the righteous people in the back. Now, all the righteous people in the back, wave your hands. No, don't do that. Don't do that. I'm just kidding. That doesn't have anything to do with the story. But this is just the context of what Jesus is talking about. So... The older son became angry 
And I want us to have some empathy for the, for the older son. Why did he become angry? And I want you to, I want you to just, let's go. I, I want to go with the story. Go with the emotion that he may have felt. Let's have a little empathy with him. The scripture doesn't tell us how long the younger son was gone. But what it does tell us is that he was gone long enough for the father to believe his son is dead. Verse 24 said that this son of mine was dead. Now, I want you to put yourself in the mindset of the older son. He sees his father in mourning over a son that took a third of the inheritance and went off and did his own thing. So he sees his father in mourning day after day, wishing his son would come home. The older son is watching this play out. I bet you there's a part in this where the older son is wanting his father's love, but he feels like his, father affect, his father's affection has been turned to a son who did not love him. So he's at home, he's working the field, and he begins to play out the scenario. He plays out the scenario of the son going home, he be, going away. He begins to blame the son for going away. Eventually, it gets to a place that he's sitting in the field, and he's doing what he's doing, taking care of the two-thirds of his inheritance, but he got a song playing in his heart and playing in his mind, what about me? Does my father love me? And just when he gets to the point that he feels like, you know what, the father is coming back to himself. He's, be he's beginning to be his, himself again. He's beginning to laugh again. He's beginning to come out to the field every now and then. Just when he gets to the point that he's about to be whole and healed again from what has happened, his son, his brother comes home. Now, I want you to picture this because in his mind, it didn't turn out the way that he wanted it to turn out. This brother who's went away, who's called all, caused my father to have all this pain and anguish, when he comes back, we got something for him. <laughs> so in his mind, he's already played it out. But the people come up, and they tell him a different story. And what he was expecting to happen was Deuteronomy chapter 21, starting at verse 18, where the Bible says that if you have a rebellious son, and that son is rebellious and doesn't obey, the fa obey his father and mother, that you can call for the elders of the, of the city, and all of the men of the city would stone the son, which included him. So he's thinking... Son is coming home. About time I had my rock ready for a long time. I'm about to bust him in the head. But it didn't turn out that way. It was a different story. And here's the thing. He, he comes home, and this loving father, the father who loves his son, instead of throwing stones, he throws a party. And I can imagine the father, because I can imagine everybody in the city thinking, this, this son, when he get back, we got our stones ready to throw. We're going to knock him out. I got one. I'm gonna hit. Everybody's got their plan. And the father pulls up with the smoker. <laughs> you know, you know he, he, he got the fattened calf on the smoker. And I can imagine the father saying, hey, 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 hey. Y'all want to throw rocks? Or do y'all want these ribs? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Y'all want to throw rocks or y'all want these ribs? And I bet you everybody throw the rocks down. Give me the ribs. <laughs> because we're about to have a party. Because the father's love is so, is so overwhelming for his son. Here's what I want you to know, and I just want you to put yourself in that situation because all of us got a little older brother in us. I want you to just, I just need a few people in this room that would testify about the goodness of a God who threw a party for you when, when, and if, if it was up to people, they would have threw some stones at you. Testify about a God who did that. Come on, somebody. Here's what I want you to know. If you're online right now, God threw a party for you when people would have thrown stones at you. Do I have anyone that will say, thank you, Jesus, that the rocks did not hit me in my head when I was on my way back to the Father's house? 
Come on, y'all. Listen. So he was angry. He was upset. He was upset because of what, it didn't turn out the way he wanted it to turn out. And look, to the point that he refuses to go into the party. Now, I want you to picture this because what the son did was bad. The younger son did was bad. But what happens with the older son, remember, the, 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 the younger son was reckless in his actions. But the older son did something entirely different. This father is throwing a party for the city. Everything is going well. But the older son, in the sign of disrespect, refuses to even go in and acknowledge the party, to acknowledge the son, which makes the father have to go out into the field and have a conversation. Now, look, this is going against his dignity and his reputation. He's killed the fattened calf, and he's got to go out to talk to a disgruntled son. His own son would not even come to the party. What he was basically saying is, look, look, if you want to talk to me, you come out here and talk to me. Now, how many of you got some children? <laughs> if I called my son, hey, Elon, he say, what? Strike one. Strike one. Hey, Elon, come here. I'm eating my cereal, and they're going to get soggy. Strike two. But if he says, no, you come to me. How many of you parents are with me on that? Just utter disrespect, disrespect to the nth degree, straight to his father's face. The whole city is watching, watching, and he's disrespecting his father, and he doesn't even stop there. The father actually comes and talks to the son, the loving father, pleading with his older son, who he's given two-thirds of his inheritance to. He's pleading with the son, and the older son takes it even further. I want you to look at this. Look at what it says. So... He's right here, and it says, Luke 15, 29, 30, face to face with his father. He says, so his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look. Strike four, strike four. Let's, he got, it's just all kinds of, just, just, just count them off. As I, as, I, as I preach, just count off all the strikes. Look, all these years, I've been slaving for you. And I know his father's like, what? <laughs> slaving for me? You have two-thirds of what I've built. And you call that slaving? I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet, you never gave me even a, even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, <laughs> strike eight, <laughs> strike eight, all right. When this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. He's, here's what I want you to see. He's speaking with the dialect of what we would call entitlement. He's speaking with the dialect of entitlement. He's speaking as a slave. He's not speaking as a son. He refuses to call his father by name. He refuses to say, sir. He refu it's like calling, it's like Elon calling me Darius. Come on, Darius. You know what? I'm going to have to have a talk with my kids when I leave. <laughs> no, they would never do it. He refuses to acknowledge his father. He refuses to even acknowledge that he has a brother. That son of yours. He's in this place that he is utterly disrespectful. 
It's funny that we only want what we deserve when it seemingly benefits us. If God gave us what we deserve, thank God that he didn't give us what we deserve. But he gave us, he gave us what Jesus deserved. So thank God he didn't give us what we deserve, but we only want what we deserve when it seemingly benefits us. And this is where the older son was. Did you know that it was possible to be doing the right thing with the wrong motive? If you're doing the right thing with the wrong motive, it's better that you just not do it at all. Better to just not do it at all. So here, here, here's what, let's, 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 just, let's just go into the story. Here, here's the question of the day. What can we learn from the story of the older brother? What can we learn from the story of the older brother? Y'all ready to learn? All right. Number one, perspective is everything. We have to learn that perspective is everything. This older brother's perspective of what he has is off. The older brother's perspective of the father's love is off. Perspective uh, is defined as a particular attitude towards, toward or way of regarding something. You know, the perspective of the older brother was off in so many ways. So many ways. He can't even see the reality of what he is actually living in. He's living in the blessing of his father, but his perspective is that he's working as a slave. You know, the, the idea is that the older brother was working out of love for the father. He wasn't working out of love for the father. He was working to get something from the father. And what's actually at play here is one of the subtle sins that we, that we sometimes uh, overlook and sometimes go unnoticed. It's the subtle sin of self-righteousness. You know, self-righteousness, here's, what it, here's, here's the definition. It's the belief that one is morally upright and has earned salvation because of strict adherence to moral and religious laws, often associated with an attitude of superiority, Towards those, towards those who are considered less righteous. Now, when I read this definition, there's, there's a couple of thoughts that may be going through your head. And uh, number one, one thought that may be going through your, your head is, I know some of those judgmental people. That may be one thought. The second thought would be, uh, you, don't, you don't at all consider that that person could be you. All right? And, and then the third thought is, you see how you could possibly fall into that category. Now, the reality of it is, in a, in a room this big, there's many of us, um, we should immediately go to number three as our response. But a lot of us would definitely look from the vantage point of point one and two. But I want you to know that your response should be, could this be me? When we're talking about the older brother. You know, we, last week we talked about, Pastor Johnson talked about the younger brother coming home. And all of us cheered about the love of God and about the, the, the younger brother coming home. This week, though, I want to just step into this environment of some of you who have been home. You've been in the house for a long time. This could possibly be you. We all have the potential to have OBS, older brother syndrome. <laughs> Some of y'all thought I was about to cuss. No. no. Older brother syndrome, aka self-righteousness, also known as the Pharisee mindset. You see, it's much easier, it's much easier to see the flaws in someone else than to recognize them in your own self. Jesus said it this way. He said, you know what? Before you get the speck out of your brother's eye, get the plank out of your eye. And what I'm talking about is many of us, we come to church, we serve, we, we, say, you know, we say the right things, we do the right things, but we secretly find ourselves judging other people. And here's what I want to do, just, just, just so we can kind of land where we need to be. I want us 
to give some, some symptoms. Let's talk about a few symptoms of older brother syndrome. Here we go. If you feel like God has to get your permission to bless someone who you feel is undeserving, you just might have older brother syndrome. All right, here we go. You can imagine if this was a commercial. If you justify your righteousness by your time spent serving the Lord, you just might have older brother syndrome. If you think you have to work harder to be accepted by God, you just might have older brother syndrome. Think about that. Look at this. If you silently throw stones at other people and feel better about yourself when they fail. <laughs> y'all sound like somebody hit y'all with a rock. You just might have older brother syndrome. Now, look at this one, though. Look at this one. If you have no grace for people who sin differently than you. Somebody say, ouch. You just might have older brother syndrome. Here's what I say. I ask this, ask this question. What is the worst sin? Here's the answer, and it will always be the answer, the one that you commit. The one that I commit is the worst sin. We can't judge other people. God is not looking at other people's sins and judging us according to other people's sins. He, ju he judges us. He looks at us based upon our own things. So the older brother, he's at home and he's judging his younger brother for all the things that he's done, but he's not considering himself. He's not examining his heart because he got some things going on that were really, really messed up. And at the right time, in the right situation, all those messed up things that was going on in the inside that you could not see on the outside, they came out of his mouth and you find out that the older brother is in the field and he's dead. He's, he's not alive. He's, his love has grown cold. He's dead to the father. The father is as if he's dead to him. His brother is as if, he's, as if his brother is dead to him. And he's a cold, rotting person out in the field. Consider the question. Is there a little bit of self-righteousness that you may be processing through? Is there some self-righteousness that I may be processing through? Because the reality of it is a lot of us find ourselves in the same place as the older brother. Here's what I want you to know. Our good deeds can actually create just as much distance from the Father as our sins can. The wrong perspective will mess you up. The wrong perspective will cause you to forfeit your purpose and your destiny. I want you to think about the scenario of another older and younger brother. You remember the story of Jacob and Esau. Perspective is everything. They're out in the field. Jacob and Esau. Esau gets hungry and he loses perspective. I don't have enough to eat. I'm about to die. He's complaining and complaining. Jacob has the right perspective. He's thinking, you're the firstborn son. You have everything you need. And Esau is like, I don't have what I need. Jacob says, you need some soup? <laughs> if you give me your purpose, if you give me your destiny as the firstborn son, I'll give you the soggy cereal. <laughs> so he trades Everything that belonged to him because his perspective was off. Everyone say with me, perspective is everything. So we can learn that from, we can learn that from the older brother. What can we learn from the older brother? Number two, number two, we need to live with the mindset of a son instead of a slave. 
We have to live with the mindset of a son instead of a slave. Now, in this story and all throughout the Bible, oftentimes when the field is mentioned, the field is actually talking about the work. It's talking about working for God. And it's usually a good thing when Jesus talks about the fields are ripe with harvest. Pray that the, the, the Lord of the harvest sent forth laborers. The field is a good thing. But the field to a slave-minded person is a bad thing. You know, when you think about the field as an inheritance, when you think about the field as a child of God, the field is my privilege as a son and not my duty as a slave. When he's thinking about it, I want you to know, notice that when he's thinking about or, or his perspective of the field is that this is something that I'm slaving over. I want you to know if you're doing work for God, if you're living for God, it's not slavery. It's not, some, it's not a duty. It's something that is our inheritance. It's something that we get to do with the Father. It is a blessing to be able to serve God. It's a blessing to be able to serve his people. It's a blessing to know the Father. It's a blessing to be known by the Father. But a slavery mindset will mess all of that up. You know, when I think about this, there's a problem. You know, that the older son had more relationship with the field than he did with the father. He was so acquainted to giving himself to the work of the field that he missed the one who gave him the field. I don't want any of us to be struggling with, with the work that God has given us. Now, here's what I'm saying. That work that God has given you is your own ministry. And when I say that, I'm saying the children that God has given you. That's a blessing. That is your work. That is what you, that you were created in Jesus Christ to do good works. But that's not, a, that's not a slavery thing. That's something that you get to do. Because here's what I know. A slave thinks field first, but a son thinks father first. The most important thing that we have is our love relationship with our father. But the older son, he missed that. The most important thing you have is your love relationship with the Father. Let me say it to this middle group. The most important thing that you have is the love relationship with your Father. Somebody say amen right here. Oftentimes we have more passion for the field we're working in than the Father that we actually get to work for and live for. So if you're working to gain acceptance and love from your father, you'll also have to work to maintain that acceptance and love from your father. And here's what I know. Look, in my own personal life, I struggled with the idea of sonship. I struggled with it because I felt like God forgave me and delivered me and freed me from so much that it was my, it was my duty to, to, to do the right things it was my duty to live up to the sacrifice that he gave for, gave for my life. And what I quickly realized is that I could not live up to it. I quickly realized that I couldn't live up to the standard that God had set in his son, Jesus Christ, that I needed Jesus to do that. I had to be dependent on who he was in order for me to live a right life before God. And here's what I know. I know this. I remind myself of this. If God accepted me in my mess, surely he accepts me now. Surely he accepts me now. But not, not, because, not because I'm better, not because God made something bad good. He made something dead alive. Amen. He made something dead alive. And here's what I know. I have a little older brother in me. You have a little older brother in you. I may not be what you want me to be, but I'm definitely not what I used to be. I may not be what you want me to be, but I'm definitely not what I used to be. Somebody in here need to say amen to that. Turn to somebody and say, I'm not what I used to be. Turn to somebody else and say, what did you used to be? Let me tell you what you used to be. I'll answer that question for everyone. You were lost and now you are found. Woo! Come on, somebody. 
God took you from the dirt, from the mud, from the miry clay. He picked you up. He took you out of the mud. He washed you up. He set your feet upon a rock, and he called you a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. Here's what I know, I know, I know, I know. You can call me whatever you want to call me. I call myself a son. I am a son of the Most High God. I belong to God. I belong to God not because of what I've done. You don't belong to God because of what you've done. You belong to God because of what he did. That's that's, that's the matter. If you can get that, if you can embrace the idea of sonship, my sons will always be my sons. I love them with a love that I have for no other than my wife. But my sons will always be my son. You will always be his son. It's not because of what you've done. It's because of what he did. I want to read a scripture to you, Romans chapter 8. Here's what it says. Verse 15 through 17, because we need to establish the posture of sonship. He said, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Just say, I am a son. I've been adopted into the father's house. You don't obey to become a son. You believe to become a son. Now, listen to me right now. I want to just, before I even go into, I got one more point, but before I go into my, my, my last point, there are some people in here that you've been struggling with the idea of sonship. There's some people online that you're in here and you're saying, you know what, I'm going to come to church today. I'm going to watch online. But you know what, I'm going to see if I can get a little better before I actually receive Jesus as my Savior. You're here today and you say, you know what, I want to commit my life to Christ, but, I, but I, I'm afraid I can't live up to the standard. I'm saying to you, listen, the Lord is saying to you, you can't live up to the standard. It takes his power, him living inside of you for you to live up to the standard. And when I say that, I'm saying Jesus is the standard. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. That means when the father sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood of his son covering you, covering you. He's made you righteous. We've been made righteous. We didn't work to become righteous. We've been made righteous. And I'm telling you, like right now, if you came in here with the mindset that you got to do better to receive better, that you got to do better to receive his son, I'm telling you right now, the Lord is telling you, give your life to the father today. Give your life to the Father today. As a matter of fact, let's do it right now. I want everybody to close your eyes because I don't believe we need to miss this moment. Close your eyes, not because it is a personal, it's a private moment, but because it's a, it is a personal moment. If Jesus is calling you right now into relationship, don't think about the things that you've planned to do that may be wrong. Think about him being right and him having the ability to settle in all heaven and earth that you are his child. Think about his ability to save you, to give you eternal life, to give you an inheritance that can't be corrupted in the earth. Think about the ability to walk with Jesus and have the joy of the Lord and have your burdens removed, have your yokes destroyed. Think about the loving father who's calling you to come home in spite of who you are, in spite of the mess you've made. He wants to bring you back into his house, clean you up and make you who you've called to be. If that person is you, no matter if you gave your life to Christ a week ago or a year ago or two years ago, if you've never received him at all, if that person is you, don't hesitate. Put your hands in the air right now. Put them up in the air. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Father, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that you loved me So you sent him to die for my sin. I believe he went into the grave 
And I believe he rose again on the third day. And because he rose, rose again, you take my sin and you remember them no more. You cast them as far as the east is from the west. Now, Father, I repent and I surrender my life to your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone say amen, amen, amen. Hey, hey, right there. I just want us all to celebrate. Celebrate that right there. Celebrate. Come on. Matter of fact, stand on your feet and celebrate that. Celebrate your brothers, your sisters, your sons and daughters coming home. Celebrate the fact that he gave newness of life. Hallelujah. Celebrate that. Amen. What can we learn from the story of the older brother? Y'all can sit down. Y'all thought y'all was going home. <clears throat> Here's the last point. Our love for the father is shown in how we celebrate his children. Celebrate what he has given to us. Our love for the father is shown in how we celebrate what is given to us. You know, the greatest thing that the older brother could have done for his father was that when his father was celebrating his younger son coming home, the older brother could have been right there with his father cheering him on. His, older, his, his dad goes out and he pleads with him. And look what he says to him. He says to the older son, he says, my son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I want you to know that what we can learn from this older brother, this older brother, he was just mad. He had a lot to be excited about. The father just told you what he... The father said, everything that I have is yours. But he was mad. May have been a little sad. And here's what I would say to you. If you're, if you're here today, if you're listening, and you have these emotions going on with you, I don't want to discount the pain that you may be processing through. But in consideration of the perspective of being a child of God and, and, and belonging to the family of God, belonging to the Father. One of the things that was prevalent in the older brother is that he just didn't have any joy. He wasn't glad about anything. He wasn't glad about his brother coming home. He wasn't glad about working in the field that he, he owned. He wasn't glad that there was a party and they had ribs and all kinds of stuff. You can't get glad about ribs. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and all the vegan people are, are mad at me now. I love ribs. <laughs> okay. Okay. There's a joy in serving God. There's a joy in knowing that you belong to the family of God. There's a joy in knowing that the Father loves you that he loves you, that he doesn't give up on you, that he's always cheering you on, that he has a plan and a purpose for you, that he wants the best for you, to bring you into an expected end. There's a joy in knowing that the Father has his plan laid out for our lives so much so that he gave us the victory even before we ever stepped on the earth. There is a joy in knowing that no matter what happens in this earth, no matter if there's death, there's life, no matter, no matter if there's struggle, no matter if there's pain, no matter what happens in this earth, this is not my home. This is not my home. Ultimately, I am a citizen of heaven, that I'm just passing through this journey, that, I, that we are aliens in a foreign land, 
that we get the benefit of bringing many more sons into the fold and many more sons and daughters into the kingdom, the joy of serving God, to know that eternally he's going to wipe our tears away, all of the pain you may feel. And I don't, it doesn't matter what you may be feeling right now. You could be watching from the hospital room right now because you have cancer. You could be watching from the hospital right now because there's a disease that the doctors said that God cannot cure, that, that, that they cannot cure. And here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. God has already cured that disease. And here's what I want you to know. Listen. Listen to what I'm saying right now. Look, God can heal you right now. He will heal you right now. But at some point in time, I don't see... Do y'all see Moses or anybody walking around the earth right now? At some point in time, we will transition. And we, when we transition, we'll be given a new glorified body and we'll live with Jesus and the Father forever and ever. So it doesn't matter what the world brings our way. It doesn't matter how hard it gets. It doesn't matter how tough it gets. I already know that I have a home with a Father that loves me. And here's what you have to do. Sometimes when you're down because life is not working the right way and things are not turning out the way you expected it to, return, to turn out, you just got to get some gratitude about you, not about what you don't have. Get some gratitude about you, about what you do have. Catch the joy that God has given you. It's not because you don't have it. It's here. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to celebrate. And there's no greater celebration than understanding that out of all the inheritances that we have, promises that we have, the Father is our inheritance. His Son is our inheritance. So as we close today, I want you to be glad in your heart. I want you to have joy in your heart. And if you don't have that, when you leave out of here today, you need to just find that. Find that place of gratitude inside of you. But as, we're, as, as we close today, I want to just take a moment. I want us to take a moment and let's celebrate by celebrating the fact that we have, have our sins forgiven. One of the things that Jesus did, and he said, is that, he said, as often as you gather together, he wanted us to take communion. I feel like it's befitting. And here's the thing about communion. It celebrates all that we have. It celebrates the wholeness that we have in Jesus Christ. Go ahead and pass those down. And I'm going to ask that as you pass those down, as you get your elements, I want you to stand with me. Go ahead and stand with me. You know, happiness oftentimes show itself in the expression on the outside, but joy is something that is very deeper. It's deeper. I got joy in my soul right now. I got joy in my soul because I know that there's some people in here today that you got a new perspective. There's some people in here today, we've celebrated, they came back home to the father. Some younger sons and some older sons. The joy of knowing that you are in the fold. But I think the other thing is that when we consider the story of the older brother, let's take inventory of who we are and where we are. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 11, uh, verse 26 through 30. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But look at this. But let a man examine himself. I want us to take a moment of self-examination. After we consider a word like this, is there any self-righteousness that I'm operating in, Lord? Am I operating with a love for my brothers? Am I operating with a love for you? And 
Here's what I would just encourage you to do. It's real quick, about 10 seconds. I want us to just grow silent for a moment. The music will be playing. And I just want you to, in this moment, just acknowledge whatever that is before God and say, if I've had self-righteousness and I've been operating in that, then I just want you to say, Lord, I repent. Let's just take about 10 seconds real quick. Examine yourself. You know, for some of you, this is going to be your first time taking communion. You gave your life to Christ just a moment ago. The beauty of communion is that Jesus said, out of all the things that Jesus did, he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. So the night that he was betrayed, he was at dinner with the disciples, and he took out the bread and he took out the wine. And I want you to know that the bread represents the body of Jesus. It was the manna from heaven that sustained life. The bread represents his word that, res- that sustains life. That bread right there is, is what we live by. That we live by the preceding bread of God that came down from heaven, which was Jesus. It's whole and complete. He, he took that bread and he broke it as his body. Take it and break it. And when we break it, it represents our healing. Healing of our mind, healing of our sin, sickness, and also healing of our bodies. So I want you to take it and break it, and Jesus broke it and gave thanks to his disciples. Father, we thank you for the broken body of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that it is the bread of life, which is Jesus, that sustains us. Take it and eat it. And after he gave them the bread, he gave them the cup that represented his blood, symbolizing that there was no more sacrifice of bulls and goats, that the perfect lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world had come, that he would be slain. And his blood, the ultimate Passover, would cause the Father to see us and see us as the righteousness of God in Christ. So he said to his disciples, this is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that... uh, We have a moment to examine ourselves, but we thank you, Lord, that you've freed us from the mindset of of slaves, that you've called us into sonship, that we're sons of the Most High God, that our elder brother, Jesus, sacrificed his life. We give you praise and glory for the inheritance laid up for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen and amen. Let's celebrate that one time. Thank you, guys.